If we think of every child and we think about what we want for our own child, that's the first step. And then if we recognize that a child can only thrive if their caregiver is thriving, if their parent, if their educator has the basic necessities and has love and respect and support, then that child can thrive, then that educator and parent can be thriving. Welcome to Liminal, a podcast from the Aspen Global Leadership Network, where we invite you to explore the space between our greatest challenges and a better future. I'm Dar Vanderbeck, Vice President of the Aspen Global Leadership Network, and I will be your guide to these conversations. There's a cliche we often repeat that the children are our future. And that is actually a profound statement to consider seriously. If we really believe that children are our future, if we were to prioritize this, then surely our world would look different. If we were to truly center children and the people that raise them, how would our systems, structures, and cultures change? On this episode of Liminal, we're taking time to explore a problem that at first blush seems to be only relevant if you're experiencing it firsthand but is actually something that has a huge impact on our shared future. Childcare and the core role caregivers play in a functioning society. In December, 2021, I became a mom myself with my son, Gael. It was this beautiful, transformational, profound time. Me and my husband, both work full-time, and after about a month from when he was born, we started to have all these questions about, what do we do next? How does this work? How do we afford this? And why don't we know what to do already? When you look around the world, the idea that children are a collective responsibility shows up in both policy and community norms. So what are the cultural agreements that we, here in the United States, accept that hide this conversation. Relegating it to the job of parents to mine the wisdom of Facebook groups instead of this being held as a truly collective responsibility. And after witnessing the clashing of home life and work life for so many of us during the pandemic, why hasn't our collective action kept pace with our awareness? To help us simmer on these questions of what caregiving means to our culture and why we aren't paying enough attention, we're here with Jessica Sager, a Pahara Fellow and co-founder and CEO of All Our Kin, an organization that invests deeply in early childhood educators, and Bernadette Ngoho, a former university professor who is now an early childhood educator herself. Bernadette owns and operates a family child care program called Trusted Care in West Haven, Connecticut. She joined us live from Trusted Care as she took a short break in her day. So I'd love to just get started with really how you came into this work. I've been on kind of, I guess, a lifetime journey around caregiving. I myself was the older sister to a brother who had kind of a constellation of 
challenges from the time he was born, physical, emotional, mental challenges. And I was really his advocate and caregiver for most of my childhood, which I think meant that later in my life, issues around children and caregiving were really central to me. I went to law school thinking that my caregiving support would come in the form of litigation and advocacy. But what happened was that in doing research on my community, which at the time was in New Haven, Connecticut, I realized that all across the city, incredible women like Bernadette were filling in the cracks for an incredibly broken childcare system and doing extraordinarily important work in a way that did not value or acknowledge their accomplishments. But coming together with parents and educators across New Haven, we designed a model for supporting women who provide care to our youngest children in their homes. Care, which is a transformative source of support for families like yours, for families with infants and toddlers, families working evenings and weekends, families with all kinds of barriers to accessing care. And so family child care educators are teachers, they're leaders, they're business people. And what we've built is really a collaborative model for supporting educators in doing that important work. Amazing. Bernadette, how did you come into this work? Realizing you could probably take the entire hour on your incredible journey. How did I get here? It's a good question. It may be I got here by accident. I was back in 2011. I had my last kids, my two boys, they are twins. And I know that I was like advancing in age and I was wondering what to do, how to spend more time with my children. And that was not all. I had to look around to identify childcare for my two boys. Two things happened. I didn't find a program that met my needs. That was the first thing, and it was so important for me. Being a teacher at the university at the time, coming back from where I originally come from, Cameroon, Africa, I saw these two different levels of childcare what it means bringing up a child in the community. So to me, I didn't see so much of a community that will help me at that time. And I had to take that decision, stay home and watch my own kids. I stayed home for one whole year. And when it came time, thinking about going back to work, it hit me so hard, what will happen to my kids when I go back to work? That's how I had to like face it and take some real decisions. And one of the decisions that came to me is, what if I stayed home, watch my kids, give them some values, give them what they need when they grow older. While doing that for my kids, I will also be able to provide the same quality of education, sharing what? Sharing my education, sharing my culture, with other kids. So when I started the daycare, the first few months, almost a year, I didn't have so many kids, but something was really gratifying to me. The one child I had, including my own child, I saw them bonding together. When a child can get along with other kids, to me, that is wealth right there. When that child 
is inquisitive, exploring, wanting to know. That child is full of fun and energy. When I see a child, when I help a child develop this, I see character in that child. I know the future is brighter with kids who have all of this within them. So that is actually what brought me and made me stay in daycare. So what brought me in was one thing, but what made me stay in daycare was more about the impact of what I, as a daycare provider and others in my community. And we, we became this support system for one another, learning from each other. And with that, I say childcare to me has become not only passion, but a way of life, a way of changing our community. I wish I asked myself this question at that time. Who is a child care provider? Who is a child care provider? Because there are certain things that we just take for granted that everybody knows who a child care provider is. To me, my definition of child care provider is someone other than the owner of that big asset. When I say asset, I spell it in all caps because the asset is the child. That's the most precious asset in the whole wide world, the child. So somebody other than the primary owners of that asset, of that child, somebody taking care of that asset is a child care provider. Not just watching the child and doing things haphazardly, but intentionally impacting knowledge in that child, impacting the first values in that child. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's interesting. You said earlier that that you've seen multiple ways culturally of taking care of children. I'm sitting with how hard it is to see a system you're in when you're sitting in it. It's hard to see the edges of to know what's different and what's just the groundwater, so to speak. So I'm curious if maybe Jessica, you could speak a little bit to, let's focus on the United States since that's where all our kin is right now. But what is the system that we're in? What are the cultural agreements that create this impossible set of trade-offs and situation for so many, for so many people? Yeah, it's such a great question. And Bernadette, listening to you speak, I was so moved and I know the incredible work that you do for children and parents and communities every day, it really is transformational. I love the way you speak about children as our most precious assets. The truth is, Dar, that in the United States, we don't value children as assets. You know, we don't have a shared collective belief about our collective responsibility for children. And that's why you and your husband were on your own. We have not made an agreement as a country that we care about children and that we're going to put them first. So that's the first thing I would name about our system. The second is that we don't value parents, especially women. You know, we think about this work of taking care of your own children as not really valuable work, as something you're just supposed to do because you're a parent. And if you're a mom, you need to find a way to make it work. And if you are a family, you need to find a way to make it work. And we have left families out there on their own, again, without a sense of valuing the labor and well-being and ability to thrive of parents, which is 
also important, right? Parents matter too. And then finally, family child care educators like Bernadette and educators like Bernadette caring for our very youngest children, literally building their brains, learning to share, learning to be a good person and, and have compassion and listen, right? All those things are happening in the earliest years, and yet we don't pay Bernadette enough money. We don't, we don't pay our family child care educators or any child care educators as much as we pay dog walkers, for example. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And some of those reasons have to do with sexism, and some of those reasons have to do with racism and with a history of exploiting the labor of black and brown women. That's where a big piece of our childcare system in this country comes from. But what you have is a system where most parents don't get any help paying for care. And those that do get barely enough money to afford any kind of childcare that they might want. And so what happens is that educators like Bernadette end up basically subsidizing the system by taking less money. Bernadette, I know you could earn more doing so many other things and you take you know, this low level of pay as your way of giving to children and families. That's really shameful that we as a society have asked childcare educators to bear the burden of holding this system together. And the last thing I'll just say, because I wanna make sure everyone in the audience understands that when I talk about childcare educators, we have a center, which might be what's in your head, right? Like a, a classroom with a lot of kids, maybe in a school, but most of our childcare system is in homes and it's in apartments. It's small groups of children with women who are running businesses. And, you know, make no mistake, they are businesses. They are generating returns to society of many, many kinds, making it possible for parents to go to work. And as I said before, you know, it's often the best setting, sometimes the only setting for the very youngest children, for families with challenging schedules, for families across all dimensions, but also for children like my brother who required special time and patience and attention, it is often the home-based family child care educators who are willing to give that patience and that love and that time. Bernadette said it so well earlier around that what she does allows all other facets of the economy to move. It's like this turning wheel that's absolutely essential. A silly, maybe table stakes question, but when we're talking about value, what is the average like pay for a childcare professional in the United States? So, you know, on average, average is a misleading term, right? Because you're going to find educators across the spectrum. But, you know, often in the low 30,000s, it is the truth that many childcare educators, whether they are at centers or running home-based programs, they actually have to access public benefits or work a second job in order to make ends meet. That's how poorly we pay. If you look at family childcare educators who do the everything of running a business and you actually were to count every single hour that they work in a week doing everything from cleaning to contracts to lesson prep, it would end up about being $8.50 an hour if you really took all that into account. That's what we're talking about at the end of the day. And you mentioned, I mean, it's, you, you meant, I want to go a little bit deeper in, in the kind of history around what, how, how we got to devalue children, devalue caretakers, 
devalue parents and the work of parenting. You mentioned the history rooted in in racism and sexism. Can you say a little bit more about that? I mean, first, like to name the ugliest of truths, black women who were enslaved were forced to care for children for free. And that I think is really at the root of how we think about childcare, which is just despicable. And then you have a whole history of domestic labor in this country that is about exploiting and underpaying, you know, black and brown women who come to this country from other places and, you know, saying, you do these jobs because we don't think these jobs are important. What's crazy about that is, of course, these jobs are incredibly important. And the women who do these jobs are incredibly skilled, knowledgeable, brilliant, and valuable and should be honored and supported in this or any other role. Caregiving, right, is the act of giving love and care to, as Bernadette said, the people who are most precious in our lives. And yet this is the history that we've built that got us to this place. It is a terrible, terrible history. And we are still, you know, working to combat that legacy in how we think about our childcare systems. The other piece of this, I think, is around women. And again, this idea that labor that women do is like by definition not important because it's women doing it. And again, we come down to this idea that caregiving isn't important, that it isn't quote unquote real work, even though it is both building children's brains, right? Supporting them in this amazing learning. And it is indeed, as Ai-jen Poo says, the work that makes all other work possible. If we don't have childcare, that's it. Nobody's doing their jobs. I mean, during the pandemic, doctors, nurses, frontline workers, they couldn't do anything if they didn't have access to childcare. And we all saw that very, very plainly. If a doctor doesn't go to work, there will be a patient in pain and in need. Think about it again. If I'm not there to watch this kid, the doctor will not go to work. I have to stay here, provide my services so that all the other facets of our economy can move. The doctor goes to the hospital, put in an hour, and is paid $200. I stay here and watch that doctor's child, and I'm not paid $100 a day. I start asking myself the question, is the job I'm doing important? If it is, Somebody needs to step up and do the right thing. Somebody needs to acknowledge what daycare providers are doing. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I want to dive a little deep into how this manifests us as individuals too, as in how what this reveals about our culture. I'll offer that, you know, learning from the Black feminist scholars, the old kind of wisdom that if you notice where you're feeling shame, and you pull on that thread enough, you usually get to a system that's being hidden. There's something else at play that we're not looking in the eyes or able to see. And like I, as, as most people who have been on a Zoom call with me know, host a nanny share at my house every other week. And there's still a little bit of discomfort that I feel or needing to be like, oh, so, sorry, sorry guys. Like there's just babies in the background when those two worlds collide <laughs> and it's a mix of oof like I don't I don't feel like I, I am I doing this right is this okay that this enters this professional space and I think that there's like reveals something about 
our broader cultural attitude to care and it being quote unquote not professional or something that's off off stage. I feel like in the pandemic, there was a light shown on that. Can you say a little bit more about how those times have shifted the conversation at all? It's funny. I think the conversations have shifted, but the behaviors have not necessarily shifted. That is one of the things that I find most baffling and I think personally frustrating. So during the pandemic, we saw our childcare system, which had been stretched so long for so far, start to crack, right? We saw parents in panic mode trying to go to their jobs as frontline and essential workers. And we saw that without childcare, they could not do those jobs. And then we saw other people working from home. And you're right, we saw babies on Zoom calls. We saw that you you cannot actually write a paper and care for your baby at the same time. They're actually two different things. When you see people trying to do them at once, right, it, it changes your perception and it changes your understanding. What I think is difficult is that except for those of us who are living the struggle around childcare, we think of this as it's an issue, but it's not my issue. When the pandemic hit, we heard about essential workers, family daycare providers suddenly came to the lamb light. The daycare centers were closed. The schools were closed. Family daycare homes kept the midnight candle burning for the economy to keep moving. And what happened after that? It's like nothing happened. When I think about those days, it just happened a few years ago, but now I'm looking at it and asking the question, how come we are forgotten so soon without taking actions? How come these are the people who kept the economy going? My husband almost died. I couldn't let go. I said, you know what? I will stay here with you. And yet I had to keep my doors open, take care of the kids. I had to manage all of that. You hear this noise behind? Make sure you understand. That's the job I do. The baby comes up, right? And we talk about it. love to go a little deeper focusing on children for a moment. As I think I mentioned, my husband Andy is a pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of LA. And last year there was an expose that really reverberated through his community around the closure of children's hospitals across the country, driven in many ways because as institutions look to boost profit margins. Adult beds in hospitals are more lucrative than children's beds. So we're, and I can just say from from our home, children's hospitals are not set up to succeed. And so I, I wanted to just go into how children <laughs> are viewed in our society, but with a look towards a more hopeful vision. <laughs> Like, how could we envision children in our society differently that might offer different possibilities for many, many different family systems and professionals and beyond that go into raising them? That's such a wonderful question. And I, I really love that flip. 
I'll speak to it for a moment, but then I, I hope Bernadette will will join because Bernadette works with children every day and I've and is an expert in child development, which I am not. I am a lawyer who is an expert in, in law. <laughs> I will tell you that children in themselves are incredible beings. They are filled with curiosity and joy and learning and exploration. And in so many ways, you know, we as adults should be struggling to continue to cultivate and build on those qualities throughout our lives. It's really interesting because we talk a lot about how children's brains are elastic and they're growing and they're learning all the time. You know what science tells us? It's really crazy. Dar, this will be interesting to you because of where you are in your life cycle. When you have a child, that happens to your brain too. You go through this amazing time of brain elasticity when you are especially open to learning and growing, right? So what someone like Bernadette does in her program, that's what we should be doing in K through 12. That's what we should be doing in college, right? This is how we should all be learning. That's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing is children grow up. And children go on to be our next amazing leaders, scientists, parents, you know, lovers, friends, husbands, wives, and all those early experiences. You know, with my own daughter, I always thought of it as like a little piggy bank. Every time we had a special moment, I was putting money in that piggy bank so that she would start her life with an emotional piggy bank that was overflowing with good things that would enable her to survive and thrive and weather hard times and do incredible things with her life. And that's what's happening in the earliest years. We're laying the foundation for all of that to happen. But but Bernadette, really, I, I hope you will speak to this. When I say the kids... They are kids, they are everything to all of us. And that's the job I do, paying attention, watching them. <clears throat> Before I left to take care of my boss, my friend, he is my boss, the kids, right? They are my bosses, they are my friends, they are my gym teachers, they are my <laughs> doctors, they go around showing me everything. They are the people that keep me going all day long and that we must appreciate because they have all this knowledge all this energy. I wish we adults can just learn from the kids. If we can learn from these kids, we will know that there is work to do in our nation. If we take care of these kids, we are sure that what they will do will be bigger than what we are doing. As I hold them each day, what do I see? I see energy in them. I see love in them. Their sense of wonders will not depart from them. Somehow, someday, our society, our community, America, will look at child care in the light of kids going out there to create systems that their heart will remain what it is. I know someday I'll miss them because they'll move forward, but something consoled me that when they do leave my program, they must have acquired what it takes, that I've given them my best, that I've given them my all, and that if this system today doesn't fix it, somehow I'm confident that the children I raised in this daycare will change the system and make America appreciate what daycare really is, acknowledge the work we do. I'm curious, Bernadette, like on this question of 
how as a society we need to heal or what needs to transform for us? How, how do you respond to that? We need to see children. We need to see children differently. How do we see children differently? Children are a part and parcel of our community, of our society. If they don't take their seat on the table so that anytime we discuss anything, we see our kids sitting right there, even when we think they're invisible, they're visible. I personally think that looking at children, reevaluating definition, perception of kids is important to resolve this problem. It is not only my child, it is our children. It is not only my responsibility, it is our responsibility. If I fail in bringing up this child, the multiplier effect is there in my immediate family, in my narrow community, and in the big community of our nation. Therefore, it is very important for us to put a child in the middle of it so that whatever we do, we value the children. It takes a community to raise children. And when we say it takes a community to raise a a child, we mean it. There's something so powerfully different about understanding children as the future in a serious way of like centering our youngest and clearing the brush for them and using all of the wisdom and everything that we've accumulated to make their pathways smoother. That is, it's a, it's a profound change to, to really think about and feels quite far from, from where we are right now. One, one last question here is, I'm sitting with all of the needs for, for change. And I think if you talk to any parent they would be like, we agree completely. And how do I don't know how to do this or I can't afford it. Or what are the ways that you're seeing people who are listening to be a part of that shift or or take action? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have a really interesting example in the state of New Mexico. New Mexico actually declared access to early childhood education to be a constitutional right in their state. This just happened. So it's not like we can't come together and decide to invest in childcare. We absolutely can. I was at a rally in DC. President Biden signed a historic executive order about access to care. And we had a rally of both those who give care and those who need care coming together to stand together and say, we are in the same boat together and we need to think differently as a society. That's the kind of movement that I think is going to make permanent change. So it's all of us in our individual attitudes thinking about what care means to us as people who get and receive it and how to stand with each other and how to make a bold declaration about what care means and demand public investment for that commitment. Bernadette, you spoke so beautifully about the types of intentional action we need to take as a collective 
feels like first step is understanding ourselves as part of a collective. And then the second is asking for different systems change and policy change. Bernadette, can you speak a little bit more to the types of change that you hope for? When I talk about change within the childcare system, invest in childcare. Let investment starts at all levels of childcare. It involves daycare providers, it involves parents, it involves communities. What we need is the will to do it. If we all recognize the need for this and prioritize it, we will do it. We will increase the budget, we will fund programs in each program, in each community, so that these kids can enter this factory and bring out the beauty within them. Healthcare is one of the few professions that we are not remembered. I've been in childcare for 10 years. The child I took care of the first year, that child will not remember me if mom doesn't keep reminding the child of me. But the student I taught at the university 20 years ago or back in school or in communities, they will remember you, right? When you pass somewhere, they say, oh, that's my teacher. That's my doctor. They recognize you. But us doing the most difficult, challenging, but fun job of taking care of our children, we are soon forgotten in terms of the children not even knowing us because they were young when we were taking care of them to bring them to who they will grow up to be. The system forgetting us, we are not asking for excesses. We're just asking for acknowledgement, a share and a responsible remuneration for what we have done today. So it's, it's emotional because I'm working hard for so little. Childcare is important. We are doing our job. We are keeping the midnight candle burning to bring up our kids so that tomorrow we'll leave this world better than we met it. And our children will be more knowledgeable, will be more compassionate and take care of things that are happening in their communities differently than now, especially with regards to people who are not seeing the problem the way it is. Childcare is a broken dish that needs to be repaired. Oh, thank you, Bernadette. For a last question to close us out, Jessica, would love any closing remarks, but specifically around how we might see ourselves as listeners, as part of this collective, how we might see ourselves as part of a solution. I'm so glad that you asked this question. The first step, as we've said, is to think about how we value children for who they are now, wanting them to be happy and thrive and be loved. You know, that as Lucille Clifton wrote, these two are our children. This too is my child. If we think of every child and we think about what we want for our own child, that's the first step. And then if we recognize that a child can only thrive if their caregiver is thriving, if their parent, if their educator has the basic necessities and has love and respect and support, then that child can thrive, then that educator and parent can be thriving. And then if we say, how do we want our country to be in respect to these children and these parents and these educators, you know, it's not that hard. There is no country as wealthy as ours that spends as little on our children and their teachers. 
we can come together and we can take that collective action, but it starts with that looking inwards, with that valuing of every child, of every parent, every educator, and of us coming together as a community that believes that children matter and that the future matters because our future will only be bright if our children are loved and thriving. I'm sitting with Bernadette's example of how our childcare system is like a broken clay pot. And I've been thinking a lot about the art of repair, like the Japanese art of kintsugi, of making a golden liqueur to put that brokenness back together and make that broken object even more beautiful than it was before. There's an invitation in this work that goes beyond how do we fix this problem right now? It's asking, how do we see and how do we repair the compounding wounds of our history? tied up in enslavement, sexism, racism, exploitation, the list goes on. And how do we build a structure in which our children and those that care for them can thrive? How can facing these truths through better policy and cultures of belonging set us on a path towards a brighter future? And we will leave you to reflect on that today. Liminal is a podcast by the Aspen Global Leadership Network, the AGLN, a part of the Aspen Institute. It's produced by Samantha Cherry, Philip Havliana, and edited by Colby Hartberg. Our cover art is designed by J.L. Lewis. New episodes are released the last Saturday of every month. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow the AGLN at Aspen AGLN on social to stay connected with the community.